Welcome to the Songbirds Radio Hour. Tonight, we're so excited to have one of our biggest supporters of our Guitars for Kids program, the legendary troubadour and Songbirds hero, Steve Earle. Hey, pretty baby, are you ready for me? Yeah, it's your good rockin' daddy down from Tennessee. I'm just that off from Baffle San Antonio with a radio blasting in the bird dog on. We met Steve in 2017 when he came to the Songbirds Guitar Museum to drool over the collection. The day you arrived, we pulled cool guitar after cool guitar. A one-of-a-kind 1952 Esquire? Check. A 1944 Martin D45? Check. The first Telecaster ever made? Check. At some point during all this guitar porn, I told Steve about our Guitars for Kids program and how we award thousands of free guitars and free music therapy to kids across the South. His response was, man, that's cool. I'd love to help out with that. So he gave me his number of his manager and told me to call, and we get a fundraiser show lined up. Everybody told me you can't get far on $37 in a chapter Now, I know that sounds cut and dry, but lots of musicians have mentioned that they would love to do a fundraiser for the Songbirds Foundation, but very few of them have actually followed up. So a week went by, and I called Steve's manager, expecting to get the runaround. You know, something like, well, Steve can't make that work, or he has a conflict, or something. But I got the exact opposite. I got, yep, Steve told me about how great this program is. What date do you want to do the fundraiser? After getting all the details hammered out and the date set for May 2018, I was still worried that it might all fall through. All the way up until the day before the show when Steve texted me and asked what tunes he should play for the show. He wanted to make it extra special. Uh, how was I actually supposed to make that type of decision? How many colossal songs does he have? I mean, Guitar Town, The Devil's Right Hand, Six Days on the Road, Tanny Town, Hillbilly Highway, Copperhead Road. How was I gonna choose? Luckily, he saved me from myself and suggested that maybe he could just play the whole Copperhead Road album since it was the 30th anniversary. How could I possibly argue with that? Well, my name's John Lee Pettimore. Same as my daddy's daddy before. The show was fantastic and went like clockwork. We raised over $25,000 for our Guitars for Kids program, and to top it all off, Steve has shown up every subsequent year to do another fundraiser. Before we get to tonight's show, I wanna say this. People like Steve Earle are a rare breed, a person who cares deeply about folks, enough to give up his time to make sure others get to experience music. He is a person who believes that music is a sacred shared experience, an experience that everyone, no matter their background, should be able to participate in, to create, to empower, to share love. We would not be able to do what we do without big-hearted folks like Steve Earle. So with a heart full of songbirds gratitude, let's get on with the show. Life. 
for our show this evening, Steve has agreed to let us play a selection of his live performance at our 2023 Guitars for Kids fundraiser. In addition, we'll be playing some of our backstage VIP interview, including questions from some of his biggest fans. To all of you at home, thanks for hanging out with us for the next hour or so, and we've got some killer music from Steve Earle coming right up. understand it when he sings it so now if I can just get uh, everybody to understand this song about the time my daddy left the pot of big poor saw my parents pistol in the general store general store I was 13 thought it was the finest I ever had seen the pocket of my son who really blew up Mama dropped a dozen that she really blew up Really blew up 
didn't understand. Mama says a pistol is a devil's right hand. Devil's right hand, the devil's right hand. Mama says a pistol is the devil's right hand. Pistols, a cap and ball coat. Shoot us out of line, but you load them out slow. Load them out slow. Soon I find out, get you in the trouble, but you can't get yet. Then I went down myself a cold for the Call a piece of never knew why. Never knew why. Didn't understand. Mama says a pistol is a devil's right hand. Devil's right hand. Devil's right hand. Mama says a pistol is a devil's right hand. Devil's right hand. The devil's right hand. Mama says a pistol is a devil's right hand. You're listening to the Songbirds Radio Hour. Our guest this episode is Steve Earle. This is a pretty new guitar, still thinks it's a tree, so it's one of Um 
Someday 
Hey folks, we're going to get right back to the music. I just wanted to remind everyone at home that you're listening to the Songbirds Radio Hour. We've got a few more songs here from Steve Earle's Benefit Performance recorded live at Songbirds on July 11th, 2023. Afterwards, we'll air a selection from his backstage VIP interview, which we recorded earlier that same night.
is the Songbirds Radio Hour, and that was Steve Earle playing I Ain't Ever Satisfied during our annual Guitars for Kids fundraiser. Each year, Steve takes time out of his schedule to come play a benefit show for the Songbirds Foundation and our Guitars for Kids program. This year, Steve also participated in a backstage interview where our VIP guests got to chat with him about songwriting, the power of music, and how music has impacted his son, John Henry. This is the Songbirds Radio Hour. Hey. Y'all welcome Steve Earle. How are you? Hey, man. I was just telling them what we're doing. I was telling them we're recording this. We're, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I got a couple few questions, and then we'll let them ask questions, and then we can just kind of just kind of yep. wing it here for a little while. All right. All right. So let's just start out by talking about you're here doing this as a fundraiser for the Songbirds Guitars for Kids program. We give away right. thousands of guitars every year. Talk a little bit about why you think music education is important. Oh, I mean, you know, it's, it's music in general. You know, there's a, there's a lot of statistics that have to do with that. You can go there. It's kind of been proven that kids that, that uh, didn't help me very much, but most kids that, uh, that have some musical education do better in math because of the relationship between them. Um, and music's like just one of those things that, uh, that can, uh, you, can, you can sing things that you can't say. And I think 
It's just something about, you know, music and being in your life one way or the other. And the thing about guitars in particular is it's still, people have been predicting that they're gonna go away. Nah. For years never. and years. It's the most democratic instrument ever. You know, pretty much anybody can learn how to play a little bit in a pretty short period of time. And I think that's why people keep coming back to it again. The difference between human beings and animals is not an opposable thumb. It's the, it's the fact that we create and consume art. It's not, you know, these things we call electives in school. They're not really electives. They're things, they're absolutely necessary. They're, they're a part of, I mean, they should be part of our education system. We've removed them for the most part. It's just we don't want to fund it anymore. And uh, programs like this, um, you know, which this literally, you know, puts guitars into kids' hands. And, and um, <laughs> the other cool thing is you can get a lot better guitar, you know, when you start out than you could when I started. I had some <laughs> guitars I had to wrestle with when I first yeah, started playing. Yeah, had those so. uh, strings like six inches off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had a, my first guitar was a Suzuki. I didn't know whether to ride it or play it. And I didn't. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was a hand-me-down from my uncle. And, uh, but it's just, you know, it's one of those deals. It's just, it's just uh, music's important. It's uh, art, art in general is important. And, and guitar music in and of itself is just, it's portable. You know, I didn't, we had a piano in my house, but you can't hitchhike with them. So no. it was the guitar that stuck with me when I left home. Nobody would pick you up. They'd just yeah, be like, no, 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 that no, guy's no. got a piano with him. We can't, we can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't pick that guy up. So uh, we teach, we also do a lot of music therapy. Um, yeah. Here we have certified music therapists that do a lot of great work with kids. Uh, we actually, Alex, uh, who's here, he, he worked with us, he now works here. And uh, um, he's on the spectrum and he's a great guitar player and just an awesome, I, I thought he was in here, but he's not. But uh, anyway, he's, tell us a little bit about, you You have a son who has Thir autism. Just talk John Henry has autism. It's, you know, um, People talk about the spectrum and, and I don't know, they talk about different levels of, of autism. I, I, I really think of it a little differently than that. You, basically, the bumper sticker is you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism. It's basically, um, it is, you know, there's people that, 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 that wanna, um, that wanna, including like verbal people and functional people with autism, they, they, they get upset because when it starts, to, we start to describe it as as a defect or as as a disease or as as you know a, a disability. The truth is, for my son, he can't speak, and so it is a disability, and uh, it's it's his life is going to be different than it would have been if he had hadn't he had twenty six, twenty seven words when he was fourteen months, and none when he was when he was nineteen months, which is that happens a lot, and um, so, uh, but music is like. There's very few things that, that you can sort of count on with people with autism, but, but music, getting to, through to folks with autism is pretty consistent. I haven't ever seen a kid that didn't like music. Sometimes you have to be careful about the volume. Sometimes you have to be careful about certain types of music, and they, they can be critics sometimes. They'll, they'll uh, you know, John Harry listens to, um, he doesn't have any words still to this day. He's 13. But he has like a hundred melodies easily. And some of them are mine, some of them are, I think he makes up, but most of a lot of his classical stuff, cause he had classical baby just like anybody does nowadays. I was like cooking when he was about, he was probably seven or eight. I'm cooking dinner, he's on his iPad, which he navigates pretty well and just watching videos or listening. He listens to more music these days than he watches videos. That's, that's changed in the last, 
in the last oh, probably two years. It's like the ratio is way, way weighted towards listening to music now. He does still watch videos, but mostly it's listening to music. And then he's just sitting there and he goes, all of a sudden I hear da 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 da. Only now it's like da 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 da. So you know it's changed up. But he just it's a it's a big deal. And, and uh, there's a we finally because uh, I kind of I raise money for his school. He goes to a school called the Keswell School, and I raise a a big chunk of their budget. And I finally kind of had a rock star hissy fit a couple of years ago because they did not have a music therapist, you know, full time, and we do now. And um, it's uh, you know the, the last couple of benefits have fun, gone specifically to fund that and and. Uh, he, he really looks for it. They always did music in school as best they could, but they've got a full-time music yeah. therapist now. Well, we find that, I mean, the music therapy part of our program was kind of, it's one of the things we added last to the program when we first started seven years ago, but it's become like one of the most powerful things that we do to watch yeah. kids be able to go in. I think most people think about music therapy. They think about, oh, we go to the hospital and we play guitar with kids, which we do some of that. But this is cognitive, goal-driven music therapy where we're going in, working with a physical therapist to accomplish a set of goals. And it's amazing to see what kids can accomplish with this kind of kind of uh, you know help. And autism is a sensory processing disorder, and that means to some degree, information coming in gets corrupted or, or scrambled or whatever, or it changes. And the same thing going out. And John Henry's receptive language is pretty good. He's got a pretty good receptive vocabulary. It's if you don't have, he has some signs. He has, um, you know, he it, that was we haven't been able to find a consistent way for him to communicate. Some signs, some he, uh, he uses Proloquo, which is a program on on an iPad that that's used for, with symbols, and, or you can put your own pictures into. It. We use mostly photographs of things in his life. And um, he, can tell, he can tell you, you know, it's time to go to the pool. But, you know, what he usually does to tell me he wants to go to the pool, I moved to a building in, in New York City a year ago, February, specifically to get him a swimming pool because he's not quite a land creature. He, he would rather be in the water pretty much all the time. Swims great. And that's another thing that's fairly consistent. A lot of kids uh, with autism are attracted to water. We got him swimming lessons because we were afraid not to because... He was automatically goes to any water that he sees, whether it's an aquarium or a mud puddle or, or the ocean. So he needs to learn how to swim. Yeah, he'd have fun here at our aquarium. Have you been to the Chattanooga Aquarium? Oh yeah, it's, my kids grew up going to that aquarium. We'd drive drive up, you know, yeah. down from Nashville to see that over the years. Well, I got one more question, and then we'll open it up to some people out in the audience. But I, I have to ask because uh, Jerry Jeff Walker is one of my favorites. Right. And uh, you got this great album. Maybe tell us a little about your tribute. You, you know, yeah, I mean, I made, a, I made a, belatedly, like about 10 years after Towns died, I made a record of Towns Van Zandt songs. I was lucky I had good teachers. You know, I met Towns when I was 17, and I met both Guy and Jerry Jeff when I was, I met Jerry Jeff when I was about 18, and, and, and uh, Guy when I was 19. And, um, you know, it just, and Jerry Jeff was a big deal to me. I knew who he was long before I knew about Towns and Guy, even before he moved to Texas. So, Jerry Jeff passed away during the lockdown, so nobody could really do anything. And then when we could do something, uh, I was honored to be asked to sing uh, "My Old Man" at his graveside, and, and I, which I used to know the whole song, you know, so I've got about 19 verses, and I used to yeah. sing the whole thing, and I had had to put it up on a piece of paper, and I said, I used to know this song by heart, but I guess it's on my other hard drive. And and uh, <laughs> Buffett came up to me after the 
after the uh, funeral and said, I'm stealing that line. And it's because it, it does become an issue it's at some point in your career as you get older. But uh, it's, you know, I got, well, when we were doing that, we, then we went to Lukenbach and there was a concert out there and I just sort of made the decision then to make this record. And I got Susan and Django and, and Jesse's Blessing before I left there and started to work on the record. And, and, uh, and I, you know, it's, uh, it's, I didn't have to learn very many of these songs. I knew most of them already, yeah. so it didn't take that much work. It's great. It's a great album. Uh, all right, who's got a question out there in the audience? Yeah, I was curious if you plan to write any more books. Um, I, I really have enjoyed your writing. The what? Uh, Another what? book. I, I really enjoyed your writing. Oh. And what? I was curious if you were planning on writing any more. Yeah, I am. I mean, it's it's kind of. I'm working on two books by accident. Um, I signed a deal several years ago, and talk about blown deadlines, but um, <laughs> I for two books, and it was basically I needed the money, and I didn't, I had no no um, desire or ambition to write a memoir at all. That's just to me that was just myself out of material, you know, to go ahead and write <laughs> something about me directly, because because you know it's it's when you write it's all about you, so. Um, I just it just seemed like a say, a, a waste to me. But the memoir was worth more than than any piece of fiction I could write, and um, I needed the money at the time. And to um, buy guitars, right? Huh? To buy another guitar. Uh, well, <laughs> and, and this was about more like you know um, keeping people from coming and getting my guitars. But um, <laughs> you know, I I, I kind of I, I got out of jail, you know, and 28 years ago, and I owed the IRS a bunch of money, and it took a long time to pay it off, and and uh, then I got it paid off, and then I had a really bad business manager that got me just as in debt with the IRS as I was before, and I've been married a few times, which is expensive, and. Uh, <laughs> And so it was, you know, it's just it's about money, you know. I mean, I bought guitars anyway, whether I could afford it or not. It's it's a disease, and I, I've got it. But um, it's not. We don't know um, anything about that here. Yeah, it, it's uh, it. Um, I'm I made a deal to write a memoir and a novel, and for a certain amount, it was very heavily front loaded monetarily towards the memoir, and I started to work on that. And I was doing okay with it. I got it quite a bit done, but I've toured a lot. And I'm, you know, I wrote, I also wrote, you know, a couple of, you know, theater pieces and, and uh, some other stuff along the way, some albums. Um, the way I, I got my head around writing a memoir, I didn't want to write one. And, and what convinced me that I might be interested in doing it is, is Bob Dylan's book and, and Patty, Patty Smith's books. Uh, so I, I decided that what I knew could write was a book about recovery. And I started to work on it, and then Justin died after I'd been working on it for several years. And so that suddenly becomes a different book. And by that time, I recently, in a couple, it's been almost two years ago, I sold all of my intellectual property up to now. I did what Bob Dylan did and Bruce did, and they were just paying these ridiculous multiples. And because of streaming and the way that music is consumed now, we're not getting paid what we should be for that right now. That's, we're going to have to fight that battle, and it'll, that'll be fought by other people after I'm gone, probably, to get back to anywhere near what we were making from record sales and, 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 you know, and the airplay royalties from, from radio, which that's going away, too. So, um, it, um, you know, I just, uh, I had the money. I had some money in the bank, more than I'd ever had. And um, 
And I called the, my publisher and I just couldn't, I couldn't keep working on that book. And I called him, I said, look, we can do one of two things. I can give you the money back, because I have it. Or we could flip the delivery of the two books. So I went to work on the novel at that point. And, um, and I've been working on the, the novel some since. I'm, mostly I'm working on a musical of Tender Mercies with, with Daisy Foote, whose father, Horton Foote, wrote the original screenplay that's tracked for Broadway. And that's the main thing I've been working on for the last, since Ghost of West Virginia was finished. Sounds like you're not busy at all. <laughs> no, it's like one of those things. And I'm a full-time single dad <laughs> nine months of the year. So that makes it, you know, there's, I drop a kid off at school. I get up, fix him breakfast, drop him off at school, and, and like run like a dog until four o'clock to have to pick him up to try to get something done. That's what I do every day. Well, there's a question right here. Um, uh, notice on your show, you reference the Beatles. Right. Much more than you do Elvis. Right. Do, would you say they're a bigger influence to you? So, you know, I don't ever remember there not being an Elvis. And, and the first song I remember was Hound Dog, I think. And I sang it when I was a little kid. And I, 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 I watched all those horrible movies and, and a few good ones. <laughs> and I was an Elvis freak. And, um, you know, I'd... I lip synced Return to Sender, all that stuff. But this, the, the, the Beatles happened. My uncle, who was five years older than me, gave me my first guitar. The first records I ever had were all hand-me-downs from him. And he called me one night in February 1964 and said, make sure you watch the Ed Sullivan show tonight. And by that time, I was, I was eight, or no, I was nine. And, and so it was just getting my hands on a guitar and around it seemed more real at that point. So it, it's more about the Beatles, but that's more about, you know, the, and, and I backtracked to the Sun Elvis stuff. I didn't know about that stuff until, until later, and I backtracked from Creedence Clearwater Revival and stuff like that to, you know, to those early Elvis records. And, and, um, um, and you know, and, and then of course Chuck Berry. I, I got to Chuck Berry as, as much from the Beatles for covering Chuck Berry as from. Chuck, I mean, Chuck Berry was still making records, but it was it was my dingling and you know, it wasn't like so. It's one of those deals. <laughs> we got time for one more. Um, so going back to writing, um, what is kind of your process for writing uh, a song? Not not going back to the books, but for a song. Um, it's, it's not any difference for writing a song except for eventually a guitar is involved in it. I, I just try to write every day. I, there's been times in my life when I was, I was like, uh, you know, I would have said, oh, I'm a morning writer, I'm a you know, daytime writer, and then I was a, for a while a, a nocturnal writer. I was kind of a nocturnal creature, was a lot of it. I was awake mostly in the dark. But um, it, um, now I write when I can because I'm a single parent. <laughs> And it's just I write when I can do it. And technology's helped me out a lot because my handwriting is illegible. I, I don't know how I wrote, I wrote two books because I type like, you know, like a palsied sports writer. And it's like I, I started personal typing, like, like typing 31 words a minute or 32 words a minute, the, the test I took the first day. And when I finished, I typed 26. So it's just... I, and my handwriting, I, I literally used to write stuff longhand because that's the way I wrote for years and years. Up until I, uh, until, you know, I started my life all over again, I got a computer for the first time after I got out of jail in 94 and, and uh, I started writing almost exclusively on computers. Now I write on my phone as much as I do anything else. And because 
the biggest advantage for me is Steve Jobs got me from beyond the grave. I've got all that stuff. And, and if I put something in notes on my phone, it's on my computer when I get home. I can just drag it into a document and keep going. So that, that part of it, and I record, you know, my, I make all my demos in the same format. So it's all in one place. And, and I, I find that, and I, and I don't lose stuff. I don't wake up in the morning and unable to decipher what it is I, I scribbled down in the middle of the night. That doesn't happen anymore. So it, it's evolved over the years. To, and basically, to, it, it, when looking back on it, I was just doing whatever I had to do to write. The, the main thing about writing is you've got to try your best to do it every day. And for me, that means trying to do as much as I can for John Henry wakes up and then, you know, and then just continue that. Hopefully that, you know, a lot of stuff happens when you first wake up in the morning for people start talking to you where you get too much input going. And I'm addicted to information and I start turning the news on and all that kind of stuff. So I have a yoga practice, which that's been going on for about seven years, eight years, maybe a little longer and that kind of to make that work i don't turn in on, on any electronics now until at least i've done that whereas i used to turn the tv on immediately because i want to hear the news and um um i've gotten a little more sick of the news than i was a few years ago and um and i just uh you know i that the yoga practices make kept me from you know protecting myself from some input until like until so, so something comes out yeah. so do you um does it start with a tune or does it start with a line or a type of It depends. I've, I've started with melodies. I've started with lines. I've started with, you know, other people's melodies and then had to write one of my own when I realized it. It's, you know, you do whatever you have to do. It's not, um, you know, I'm a folk singer, basically. What I do, come, I'm a post-Bob Dylan folk singer, though, and, and so it is literature, and it's literature on purpose. I'm, I've, the bar is really, really high when I do it because of the way that they... That they it's the era that I, I learned how to do it. And, um, you know, I, it's like um, there were other people that were writing folk songs that were in that folk scene in New York and Boston. And, and uh, they were they, and they were good songwriters. Tom Paxton decided he was going to write a song a day for a year and he did it. But they were reading the same things Bob was. They were reading French, you know, like like modernist poets. But they were still writing songs that sound like Woody Guthrie. Bob read that stuff, and then suddenly one day wrote, "The hard rain's gonna fall," and everything changed. And that's that's what I teach in my in my camp, and that's what I you know, I, I do that on purpose. I, I I think of myself as a post Bob Dylan songwriter, and 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 I try to write songs that are literature. Awesome. Well, we I'd hate to cut it off here, but we want to make sure everybody gets to going to sign some autographs and stuff. I want to make sure people have time before the show starts. So can we get a round of applause? Yes. Thank you. You've been listening to an exclusive backstage interview with Steve Earle on the Songbirds Radio Hour. Up next, we've got a few more songs from his benefit show for our Guitars for Kids program recorded live in July 2023. Thanks to everyone for listening at home.
see you My mama told me never go I'm damn near 22 years old Sometimes I feel this holler swallow me She went out to Gettysburg Went off with that new boys I took off after dark My way down the county road The night was clear, the moon was low Down to where the blacktop highway starts I went down to Tennantown I went down to Tennantown I went down to see what I could see Everybody stared at me You think that they ain't never seen A colored boy before They chunked at me and called me names They owed me show, but the chef came I took off and ran through the dry goods store Division Street, some of them bars followed me down to the railroad track. Oh, then and I came back, well, I got my old Randall knife. Cut that boy, and I never did look back. We're so happy to have you with us tonight listening to the Songbirds Radio Hour. Our guest is Steve Earle. So, uh, as always, this goes out to what's-her-name, wherever the hell she is.
daddy's little darling Her mama's only child They didn't understand it all She took to running wild She left town one day and never said goodbye a hole in daddy's lap and a tear in mama's eye Where we go wrong Now she's gone She met a boy up in Kentucky Charlie was his name When he thought he got lucky She stole his watch and chain And she always kept on moving And she never wasted time They said she left quite a string Of broken hearts behind Woke up long Now she's gone Thanks for listening to the Songbirds Radio Hour. Our guest this episode is Steve Earle. Thank you very much. Okay, same girl. Uh, let's see. Different harmonica. Um, some girls are just better for songs than others. I have no explanation for that. It has nothing to do with the quality of the girl whatsoever, I promise but this one uh, was uh, particularly good.
Thanks. Thank you. That does it for this episode of the Songbirds Radio Hour. Thanks so much for tuning in at home. You can find us here on WUTC the second Saturday of every month. And of course, a big thanks to Steve Earle. This episode was part of his annual benefit concert for our Guitars for Kids program. On our next episode, we'll be taking a deep dive into the Athens music machine with experts Chuck Reese and David Barbie, along with musical guests Monsoon. Songbirds Radio Hour is made possible through a grant from the Riverview Foundation. If you'd like to attend a live taping of the Radio Hour, please visit songbirdsfoundation.org for more information. This episode was produced and written by Reed Caldwell, live recording by James Snyder, additional thanks to Victoria Sauer, WUTC, and of course, Steve Earle. Directed, edited, and mixed by John Dooley. 